Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes for the week ending April 1st, 2021. This is Videocast Episode 76, Podcast Episode 66. Welcome to the shortened holiday week. And uh, we're going to kick it off with our media spots just to get to the key points of the week. And then we'll go into some granular detail. We're going to try to make it a little quick because we know people have holiday travel plans. But um, we do have a lot of great stuff to cover as well. So, uh, here we go. First, I'd like to thank Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett for having me on Fox Business, The Clayman Countdown on Tuesday. The subject matter was the infrastructure bill, which was to be announced on Wednesday, which was announced Wednesday evening. I was on Tuesday and we were discussing what were some potential plays uh, going into the announcement. And, you know, the good news is we're finally getting the overdue infrastructure spending. The bad news is it's going to cost three to four trillion. What was announced on Wednesday was 2.25. And what I shared with Liz is that many of the industrials, materials, and clean energy stocks have run up huge since the election, anticipating the announcement we got on Wednesday. So it's, it's, not the time to chase many of these stocks. Um, quite a few of them, if you own them, you probably hold them, but it wasn't wasn't really a time to chase into the announcement. Uh, however, uh, there were a couple areas that um, uh, the producers wanted me to take a look at. And one was the EV charging stations. So they wanted to increase uh, in the bill 100,000 to 500,000 charging stations. I said that Tesla would be the biggest beneficiary. They've got the most cars on the road. They have a moat around the business and they're, they're trading at 30% off the highs. So the um, aggressive traders may have found that an opportunity. I think it's up five or 6% uh, since then. Uh, that That's not my knitting, but it's certainly gonna be a beneficiary and trading down 30%. I don't know how to value a stock like that. Uh, you could talk to uh, Kathy Wood of ARC about uh, her estimates looking out in the future, but certainly they have the moat. Certainly they're the leader. And if you want to play clean energy uh, into that, that was that was probably the way. And it's certainly shown to be the case in the last few days. And then the second one was a lot of money to, to build energy efficient homes. Uh, so in that context, we picked out the uh, industry leader, which was first sold. It's 24% off the highs. It's got a technological edge with their Series 6 panel. Strongest balance sheet and cash flow generation. They'll be able to do buybacks. Trading at a PE that's half the industry multiple. Their multiple is 20 times PE, which is about half the industry. So that's another clean energy play. We're, we're not aggressive into, into that world, but for those who wanted to play the green announcements within the... Um, Announcement, I wanted to put out stocks that were um, not overdone, stocks that actually had pulled back into it and, and they would get a nice bounce. And they certainly have and they probably will uh, persist for, for coming weeks. So that was that. Now, the secondary plays, which was more interesting to me, was uh, how, you, how do you pay for the $3 trillion? Well, uh, two ways, uh, deficit spending and taxes. And on the tax front, uh, we like H&R Block as there are new rules and more taxes and uh, uh, different compliance that people will have to pay attention to. I think more and more people are going to turn to professionals moving forward uh, to, uh, to deal with that. H&R Block is going to be a key beneficiary for, for the mass market. And uh, also, they've taken on a number of positive initiatives in the last year. Their small business and payroll business is uh, is up 
32% year on year. They have a prepaid debit and mobile payments business that's growing tremendously that you can use with the Apple wallet or the uh, Android version. And uh, their revenues uh, will finish next month, the fiscal year. It's, they're estimated to finish at $3.5 billion versus $2.6 billion uh, the previous fiscal year. So that's good news. And they're trading at an eight times PE with a 5% uh, dividend yield relative to their uh, five-year normalized PE of 11 times implies a 40 to 50% upside over the next 12 to 18 months. So we think that's actually a more interesting infrastructure pay play, which is going to be increased taxes. Who, who are the beneficiaries of increased taxes? Not many, but uh, H&R Block is one. And, uh, and then secondly, with the uh, deficit spending to finance it, uh, yields we think will continue to creep up over the next 12 to 18 months. And as such, uh, we continue to love Wells Fargo. We gave it to the show uh, mid last year in the mid 20s. And, um, and that's where our basis is uh, around 25. And um, uh, we think that with with yields slowly creeping up over time, net interest margin profits are going to continue to get better. We know that credit reserves are, are going to be released in mass over the coming quarters. They over-reserved on the basis of a 20% unemployment expectation. Instead, we're headed to four and a half by the end of the year, according to the Fed. And um, credit credit reserves released. Lending's going to increase as the economy reopens. We're seeing it in housing. We're seeing it in. Uh, we'll be seeing it in C and I. And the kicker, the key catalyst uh, towards the end of the year, we we uh, anticipate we could potentially see regulators lift the two trillion dollar asset cap and let Wells Fargo uh, um, really um, uh, help the recovery with credit expansion and lending. Uh, more materially than than they're doing right now. So so that was that segment. Again, thanks to Ellie Terrett and Liz Clayman. Also want to congratulate Liz Clayman and her team. Uh, she put out this tweet today. Gang, huge quarterly ratings news. The Clayman Countdown Show, anchored by Liz Clayman, was the number one program with a high-income, affluent 25 to 54 audience on cable news. Thank you to all, all of our viewers. So congratulations to Liz. Unbelievable news. And uh, and uh, I, I think she's just been consistently knocking the cover off the ball every quarter, if I recall correctly. So that's uh, just uh, continued good news, and, um, and that's terrific. Um, Next, I uh, want to thank Venus Fang for including me in her article on Bloomberg. This was about the Archegos uh, Bill Wang um, uh, family office blow up. And uh, she quoted me saying, Archegos runs a highly leveraged, highly concentrated book. Uh, you know, that, that was what she pulled out of a, a longer conversation. And uh, that, that's correct. We'll talk a little bit about that, I guess, in a minute. Uh, the day before that, on the 29th, um, I was quoted on uh, Lawrence Lawrence Delavin Lawrence Deliving over at Reuters. The same thing with regards to uh, Bill Wang running a, a leveraged book. Same thing with Al Jazeera. Uh, yesterday, uh, picked it up. And then on Monday, it was uh, Herb Lash over at Reuters. Thanks for including me in your article. I uh, said uh, the, the default is likely confined. That was what everyone was worried about. It Was it going to be contagion? And uh, it, it didn't appear that way 
based on what was causing the problem. And most of the blocks got out on Friday. So, um, you know, I said the, the default is likely confined, but with portfolio rebalancing at quarter end, weird stuff can happen at funds that are over leveraged. It was a confluence of several events that compounded by the recent sell-off and weakness in the tech sector, most of which hedge funds are leveraged to. So that's what we saw on Friday. This quote was Monday morning. And Friday was uh, was uh, kind of a choppy environment, particularly for tech stocks. You saw Viacom uh, just collapse and Discovery and a bunch of Chinese internet stocks, et cetera. Effectively, um, Bill Wang is, uh, interestingly, very well regarded in certain circles. Even Julian Robertson, who started the whole time, was uh, saying that, you know, effectively, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. I would put money with him again. Uh, but what, what it seemed happened is he built up a $5 billion equity base and he leveraged it up 10x to about 50 billion predominantly using uh, contract for difference or total return swaps where you put up a small amount of, of margin and then you settle out on a day in the future. If it's up, the bank pays you. If it's down at any time, they can do a margin call. And what happened was Viacom, uh, Sherry Redstone, brilliant. The stock ran up on the, um, the stock ran up dramatically on the, uh, streaming announcements with all the others that ran up in the past couple of months. And she said, let's hit the bid. And they issued uh, stock up at the highs in order to raise capital for continued streaming expansion. And the market didn't love it. It priced below the market and it just caused, you know, a leverage as it was leveraged on the way up, it leveraged on the way down. And apparently Bill Huang had a huge uh, total return swap exposure to that name and a number of correlated names. Um, and uh, he got margin calls across the board. And the banks, when they sell the CFDs, they buy the stock. So they hold held all the stock in street name, which was huge amounts of stock. And they just had to start selling it, selling out of it. He couldn't raise the capital to meet the margin calls. And that's why you saw some real disruption on Friday and some trickle through effects on Monday. But by and large, uh, does seem contained to those stocks and the banks that took that where the bag holders were predominantly Credit Suisse and Nomara, but it won't be crippling. It'll just hit them for a quarter and uh, and life goes on. That happens. Um, OK, so uh, institutional, by the way, the. The lesson there um, is that, one, obviously leverage is a double-edged sword, particularly when you don't quantify the exposure. You know, if he was in vanilla, uh, long-dated, you know, calls on Viacom or something like that, uh, that's fine because if it moves it moves against him, he, he only risks the capital that he pledged. So he's quantified his risk. If it, um, if you're in the contracts for difference or the total return swaps is kind of like futures it can go against you hard and you have to post additional margin and that's really where he got his hands tied uh and uh, and had difficulty so uh lesson learned now i do want to cover last week uh, um jordan howie emailed me and i didn't get it get to it on last week's call so i'm glad to cover it this week for the ask me anything question he said 
Hi, Tom. Been listening to your podcast a while now. It makes delivering pizzas on Saturday nights a lot more interesting. On the last podcast, you spoke about how banks might see a pullback in response to all this weak money and euphoria into financials. I wanted to ask why this causes a pullback. Is is it retail buyers cashing in on their small gains, causing excess supply and subsequent price decreases? Thanks. Looking forward to your next podcast, Jordan. So number one, Jordan, uh, it, uh, kudos for you improving yourself while you're delivering pizzas. You, you know, with that mindset, you're not going to be delivering pizzas for, for very long. Uh, not to say there's anything wrong with delivering pizzas. I started uh, when I was uh, nine and 10 washing dishes at a catering hall for five bucks an hour and all the ice cream you could eat. Then I graduated to multiple paper routes at 12 and caddied until 17. Uh, so, uh, so all that stuff is great. And I was reading books and learning and self-educating and doing all those things, uh, the same way. And, um, and I, and I think you're on, on a great track. So, uh, I answered you, uh, by email. So I just want to get it out there to everyone. Um, you know, retail buyers, uh, generally don't have enough size to move the market in general. There are exceptions like you had a leverage situation with GameStop where they all bought calls and it forced the banks to buy the underlying stock and it was just this. And then you had the uh, 140% short interest, so they had to buy more stock and there became a shortage of stock and it drove things up. But that that is the exception, not the rule. Uh, it's institutions, basically, who bought at lower prices, laying off some stock to retail traders that like to buy breakouts after the stock's up 50 to 100%. And after the supply is absorbed, it can move higher again if the fundamentals support it. Um, you know, you, you can get a feel for it uh, by watching last week's video cast where we went, went through about 40 different indicators that gave you a feel for when and why the general market has a tendency to inflect. In simple terms, when, when everyone gets on one side of the boat and there are no marginal buyers in the short term, and the last ones in, the last ones in are always going to be the first ones out on the pullback. That's generally the retail money buying the breakout. You get a correction of the breakout. The strong hands add uh, potentially on the weakness, and uh, they'll always use the weakness to add the retail adds on strength. Institutions tend to add on weakness. There are exceptions with mo momentum chasing quant funds, but uh, they, they've, they've had trouble as of late. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's really the predominant story there. So, you know, you have seen some consolidation in recent weeks in some of the banks and some of the energy that was expected. We talked about it, but that's just going to give us the fuel to power higher to new high, highs before year end. So, um, Great question, and uh, um, really glad that you're listening in and, and finding it helpful, so thanks for that. Uh, moving along, this is interesting. This is kind of in line with what your question was last week, Jordan, and uh, this is um, probably also what's, what's caused some of the weakness. Uh, Tom Lee said that institutional investors have been net sellers of stocks since December, but that's actually a bullish signal for equities, according to Fundstrat. Um, uh, da, da, da. institutions have raised $128 billion of cash since December and now have the biggest cash balances since June. I think this number is up to $157 billion, uh, but either way, it's a big number. This cash should be viewed as a source of firepower for future buying, uh, hence cash on the sidelines could be further fuel for the upside, Lee said, uh, and that was that. Um, you know, you also got four and a half trillion on the sidelines in money markets. So, uh, yeah, but 
you know, it's it's getting harder and harder to find value. We're going to um, uh, summarize some areas that we still think there's value. And uh, when we look at them, you know, they tend to be more defensive areas. So it tells me that uh, we probably have to, to con- continue to consolidate a little bit before pushing higher. Uh, I know Tom Lee, th- you know, is, is pretty aggressive. I think he's got like a 4,300 price target in the short term and he thinks we'll correct the second half. Um, so we'll see. I, you know, I'd probably be more inclined to think we'll finish the year strong. We might consolidate short term, but, uh, nonetheless, we're, you know, it, it really, at the end of the day, it's, it doesn't really matter, but we, we just want to focus on what we think can work in the next few months, uh, and, uh, and focus from there. So the S and P finished, uh, over 4,000 today, which was exciting, uh, and the U.S. Manufacturing Index soared to a 38-year high. The interesting thing about the ISM today was that um, I think it was 57 of the commodities, 57 out of 57 that they cover in the report, the prices were up materially, and 27 of those 57 had a supply shortage. So, um, you know, there is kind of a debate the Fed thinks this is all supply chain issues and it's going to be transitory. And then other people, you know, really believe that because we've been conditioned for the last 20 years that we're in a deflationary environment. Uh, I, I'm kind of in the middle. I might I, I really think the amount of money that's being borrowed and spent is material. And I do think velocity is going to pick up despite the fact that it's trended down for decades. Um, I, I think the game is changing and that, and, and my argument is that the size of the millennials and the housing formation being larger than the baby boomers was in the early eighties, uh, is going to be the driver and it will overpower the arguments against inflation, which is, um, aging demographics. Okay. That that's kind of yester yesteryear's argument. Uh, that already played out. So that's looking in the rearview mirror. Um, globalization, I think those trends are slowing, not accelerating. They had been accelerating for previous decades. They're now kind of slowing, if not normalizing. Uh, and I, I, I do think that that, you know, 72, depending where you look, some people say it's eight, 72 to 85 million. The bottom line is it's a bigger group than the baby boomers, the millennials. Housing formation, demand, that's when people buy dishwashers, appliances, stuff for babies, furniture, cars, the whole kit and caboodle. So that drives growth. That started in the early 80s for the boomers. It's starting now on a delayed basis for the millennials. And I think that bodes uh, coupled with, that's going to increase velocity coupled with, uh, you know, not what what's going to turn out to be. 5.3 is already in the bag, plus another three to four trillion coming. Call it 9.3 trillion dollars of fiscal stimulus, plus four trillion dollars added to the balance sheet. You're talking 13 trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. You know, that's 60. You know, over 60 percent of uh, 65 percent of GDP that we put out in basically a year. And to think you're not going to get inflation, you really have to bet that that people aren't going to spend. Uh, and I, I think that's, uh, I, I think that's a very risky bet. I, now I don't think it's going to be runaway inflation, you know, buy all the gold in existence and hide in a bunker. I don't think that at all. I do think that, 
Um, Chair Powell is going to get his wish. He's going to get symmetric inflation above his 2% target for some time, maybe closer to three, maybe three and a half. And then it probably normalizes uh, a couple years out at two and a half, two, seven, five, three, but certainly at a run rate much higher than uh, we've been accustomed to. So uh, you want to own assets and, um, and uh, and people are figuring that out because you're seeing it in housing, you're seeing it in, in everything else. Uh, okay, now, um, here's another guy I like to listen to is Jim Paulson of the Luthold Group. And he's saying investors aren't giddy enough. Uh, you know, I, I obviously get worried when I see all of this happy talk when, you know, we've come as far as we've, we are, but... Um, I, I do agree with what he's talking about because he says, uh, okay, I just can't imagine uh, when everyone's vaccinated, uh, when we declare victory over COVID, that we're not going to feel a whole lot more giddy than we do right now sitting in my basement, including better growth than 8% this year. I agree with that. I mean, last year in the middle of it, in June and July, I was calling for 6%. People said I was nuts. Now 6 is the is the bottom end and people are talking between seven and nine credible people talking between seven and nine uh i think we could see eight eight plus so i agree with that i think we're not as optimistic as we should be on growth uh certainly a good amount of that's priced in but i don't think those levels and the other area where he's been a front runner and i agree with him a hundred percent is he said uh earnings are also expected to surge wall street's forecasting a rebound of uh earnings of $175 this year. Paulson sees $200 as possible. I couldn't agree more and no one's talking about that. So, uh, and if it does, it means we're selling at less than 20 times earnings right now on the S&P 500. Um, and probably broader markets are selling at a better valuation. So, uh, you know, there are, we could push higher here. You know, you, you do have, a lot of reluctant retail people, you see it in the AAI that have just, you know, fought this thing the whole way up and now are finally capitulating. And that capitulation could be an extra 3%, an extra 5% before, you know, you finally do take a, a nice size pullback and shake out the, you know, we always call the weak sisters. It's just the late money that um, fought it, folded at the exact wrong time, and then uh, they get taken out to the woodshed. It's just the way it happens all the time. It's not it's just the nature of it. So uh, the other thing you have is record buybacks. This was off the of zero hedge, but it's from uh, Bank of America Securities. Record buybacks last week from corporations. They've raised record cash. The credit markets have been wide wide open. They're, they can borrow at you know a couple percent and buy back at a 5% earnings yield. Why wouldn't they do that all, all day long? That's a, that's a great spread, and they're doing exactly that. Um, the other thing is uh, you're seeing companies already raise the uh, prices. Kimberly Clark uh, raised prices this week. General Mills, Hormel, um, uh, JM Schmucker, they're all raising prices. They're passing it through to the customers. And while people say this is just a supply chain short term, it's just like wages. It's sticky. And you're going to see that. As a matter of fact, the most important number to watch in tomorrow's jobs report, the markets are closed, but that's going to come out, is the wage inflation number. Wages are sticky. If you keep seeing that hourly rate rise, that's going to, that is the leading indicator for inflation. And it is sticky. So keep an eye on that. that that's one you'll tell. That's 
when that starts to rise on a consistent basis, that's when you have to be on alert for the Fed starting to come out way sooner than expected about, uh, uh, you know, potentially talking things down or tightening or at least buying the long end of the curve. Next, uh, U.S. home prices are rising at their fastest level in 15 years, and Goldman uh, says they'll surge another 7% this year. Yeah, no inflation here. Um, so um, I, I think that's uh, that's conservative. I think, you know, again, 72 to 85, depending where you look, million millennials, housing formation, you know, uh, can work hybrid, remote, and in the office. Uh, this this game is on. There's zero supply, and um, and we're off to the races on this. This is this is toward the beginning, not the end. And everyone's looking at recency bias because, like in states like Connecticut, where I am, uh, you've had a, basically a housing depression since 2007. Prices have been down. They, they they never retook that watermark until the last 12 months. So everyone's like, oh, you know, now now prices are up. I you know I got to get out. Well, we're, number one, where are you going to go? And number two. Uh, for the technicians on the listening, if there are any, uh, everyone knows that, you know, you might have a retest of the breakout, but uh, generally uh, these these prices are going to continue to uh, to uh, to go up for some time. And the longer the base, the higher the space. So uh, we could see a, a material gain in, in housing prices for for some time to come. Um so that's that. Okay, long-term U.S. government bonds endure the worst quarterly fall since 1980. I think I put this chart out last week. This is from Macro Charts. He has this daily sentiment indicator on bonds uh, starting to turn up uh, in line with uh, a couple weeks ago. We said that this, you know, that huge climb from 100, 100 to 175 basis points in six weeks would slow down very, very quickly, and it did. It's gone basically sideways now for the last week and a half. And uh, this implies, uh, along with the commitment of traders, which we covered last week, that uh, there may be some short-term buying in bonds. Uh, certainly, uh, the uh, crowded uh, hedge fund short bond trade is is unwinding a bit, and uh, that should give some support to bonds and some stabilization to yields, which is also in line with our shorter-term thesis for some of the stocks we're, uh, groups we're going to look at this week. Uh, this is Ryan Dietrich. He said the second quarter during a post-election year is usually pretty good for the S&P 500. Will 2021 follow suit? Here are the stats on average since 1950. The uh, second quarter of a first year of a new president is up 2.7%. Um, so we'll see if that holds out. I, you know, I like these st statistics. It's it, it just gives you a feel for... Uh, seasonality, and then it kind of shows you that early next year in Q2 is when you get the, the historically the most weakness, and that would make a lot of sense because I think there is going to be a lot of excitement, there is going to be a lot of money chasing into the markets, a lot of money on the sidelines, accommodative policy, fiscal stimulus on a lagged effect hitting the market. So, you know, as we said in the beginning of the year, we, that we were looking for mid teens for the SP 500. And we were looking for multiple, you know, uh, four or five, three percent pullbacks in the S&P. We've already gotten a couple of them, uh, but it has held that right around three percent and then it just recovers. I think that's the type of environment we're in similar to 2000, uh, you know, 13, 14 period and then 2017 period. And then you get a pullback 
uh, sometime next year. Uh, but I think we have many years to run on this, um, even if, even if we do start, you know, get uh, some healthy corrections, uh, mo much more than three percent, um, you know, next year. So we'll take it as it comes. It's uh, but it's it's helpful information. Uh, moving right along, just to keep in track what we've been talking about, we put out on February. I guess 25th and March 4th, February 25th, we said we were uh, buying utilities, staples, and big pharma. And then um, March 4th, we said in the article, um, uh, we aggressively added this week. And uh, they, they've moved quite a lot in the last week, last four weeks rather. But I just want to show you where opportunity is. Uh, we still think there's a lot of room to run. Our favorite, obviously, American Electric Power. Uh, you know, look. You know, it's interesting on a daily chart. When you look at AEP, look at this thing. You know, from 74, 75 to 85. I mean, it's uh, it's up. You know, mid-teens um, in just you know basically three and a half weeks. But when you step back, and all of these, by the way, just just look at all these. They look straight up LNT. Uh, Southern Company, uh, Dominion, um, Eversource, Duke, Dominion is what is our second favorite. Let's see. Uh, yeah, again, from 68 to 75, so up about 10% in three and a half weeks. That's a lot for a utility, by the way, Con Edison. So they all look absolutely straight up on a daily basis, but when you zoom out, uh, you know, you could see this move is just getting started for Dominion. Same thing for Con Edison. Um, and let's see what AEP looks like. American Electric Power, again, just getting started here. I mean, their uh, pre-pandemic highs were at 105. With all the clean energy and the investment and infrastructure and all the things that are going, they're also going to be beneficiaries uh, with the smart grid, et cetera. So there's, there's just opportunity. And we like this group. But when you think about this group, while you can just see them started and there's there, it's like, where do you find value? It's, it's get, it is getting tougher and tougher. Well, here's, you know, ground zero for finding value. Uh, but when you step back and you say, wait a second, if, if utilities are going to rally, what does that mean? And it probably means a couple of things. One, their yields are going to be more valuable because the uh, treasuries are going to, yields are going to stop going up so quickly, which they have. Uh, and which is why these stocks have moved 10 and 20% in the last three weeks. Uh, and two, <clears throat> there could be some some choppiness in the market and people will go here for safe haven. So they are considered a defensive group. So that's some um, utilities. Then staples again. Um, this is the longer term view. You know, Clorox and Kimberly Clark, they've, uh, let's just take a look on a daily. You're going to look at them on a daily and say, wow, they're, you know, I missed it. Look, P&G from what 123 to 135 in a few weeks. Kimberly Clark from 128 to over 140. Now it's pulling back a little bit. Um, so these things have moved a lot. 70 uh, Colgate 74 to 80 and pulled back a little bit. Uh, they've moved a lot, but when you step back again. Here's the monthly. You can see like on Clorox, it's barely starting. Kimberly Clark, same thing. Uh, Procter and Gamble, nice move, but it's got more room to run. Um, Colgate, Palmolive, same type of thing, and it's uh, so that's that. Here's some more staples. You've got uh, Kraft Heinz, 
again, on the daily, you know, look at this move, 32 to 40, you know, more than 20% and 23, 4, 5%. Same thing with uh, Kellogg, which we were hammering, the pounding the table on in early March. It's from 36 and change to, I'm sorry, 56 and change to 60, almost 65, and then it's pulled back a couple points to consolidate. Same thing with Campbell Soup, which we which we talked about on Liz's show uh, the first week of March, and then um, General Mills, same thing. So all these on a daily chart looks like you've missed it, but then when you step back again on a monthly and get a longer term view, you know Kraft Heinz is just getting started. Uh, Kellogg is just getting started. Campbell Soup is just starting to break out of this consolidation. Uh, General Mills just getting started. These are the beginnings of these moves, not the end. And again, what does that say? If if staples and utilities are are, are starting big moves, that means that rates are probably not going to go crazy in the short term, and it means that people are going to be looking for you know where can they still find value, of course. And something a little bit defensive because, you know, maybe we, we do get a little turbulence. Um, moving right along, the third group was Big Pharma that we pounded the table on. Uh, it, Gilead is it is Big Pharma, but it's also biotech. I mean, this thing has just been languishing for a long time. If you look at the longer term chart, I mean, this, this thing could have room once it gets started. It's up, you know, 10% in the last couple of months. But that thing could be a big runner over the next couple of years. Um let, let's actually look at the daily just to first get a, a view of that. Um, so again, early March, we were talking these. They, they've started to move, but these have moved less than the staples and less than the utilities. So they have a, a huge opportunity. Novartis is up from whatever, 83, 50, 84. It got up to 87 or so, and it's pulled back a dollar. So these are mini moves so far. Glaxo is up from you know 33 and change. It got to almost to 37, pulled back a dollar or so. Uh, Merck, same thing, 72 to 78 pulled back a little bit. Pfizer, okay, this looks like a monster move, but it's only, you know, 33.5 to 36.5, less than 10% in a few weeks, and all of these. So th these are where there still seems to be value, and people are going to sniff it out because it's really hard to find value elsewhere. But when you step back again, look at Gilead. I mean, it's just getting started. Glaxo is barely getting off the ground. Novartis, this move is just starting uh, Pfizer, you know, you've got one month. This is the second month of the move. Merck, same thing. It's just reversing. Uh, even Biogen is something worth looking at. Uh, that's dependent on the, uh, the Alzheimer's thing. You know, it seems like every few months they reject it and then they say, but it's coming. And then like, uh, so eventually they'll get a good report on that and it'll go, probably go bonkers in a good way. Um, so that's that. Uh, okay, I don't know why that's there. All right, so uh, Pfizer, oh, I put the wrong article. So uh, two things. Uh, one was the Pfizer drug was found effective for adolescents. I think it's the only one now that's safe for children. And I think it was like 12 to 16 or something like that. That came out this week. Second thing about Pfizer is they said the vaccine lasts six months, pr protects against the variants. This is in line with, with what I said a couple weeks ago. There was an analyst call and they were saying that, you know, while they're getting everyone vaccinated at a low price for the government's 
just to basically save the world at $30 a pop, they're going to be, they mentioned that there would be probably be third boosters that would be required later in the year. Well, now we know that this came out last six months. So you figure by the fall, they're going to be talking about third boosters. And they thought on that call that they could increase the price up to $170. So who's going to pay that, whether it's the government or whether it's individuals or it's insurance, we don't know. But, you know, the case that they made is relative to the value, i.e. not death. Uh, it's an extremely valuable uh, vaccine. So, you know, it, whether it'll be a recurring annual revenue or not, uh, this is just one piece to the Pfizer pu puzzle, which is why we like Pfizer quite a bit and why it started to move. So just keeping our eyes there. Now, our uh, uh, pound the tables from last year that, are, that we are saying are holds, uh, because while they could consolidate in the short term, we know we strongly believe that they will make new highs before the end of the year. So while we're not big adders, uh, unless there was some type of correction where we could get more, uh, we are um, holding these and, and uh, expecting them to move higher. You know, Boeing has had a lot of good news this week. It's it's off the mat up from 150 to 252 since the election. Northrop Grumman and Lockheed, we were on a couple of weeks ago when it was down here and they were just lagging and they weren't doing anything. Well, they've just jumped up uh, Northrop to from, you know, whatever it was, 295 to 322 in uh, the last month, month and a half. Same thing with um, uh, Lockheed Martin, which is up from, you call it 325 to 370 in the last month and a half. And we think a lot of these have a room to run. You know, we've loved uh, Raytheon. We've loved General Dynamics. But as you can see, as much as they've moved from 55 to 77 in the case of Raytheon and 130 to 180 in the case of General Dynamics, they've got a lot of runway. And it just, uh, it just takes it's, – it's a matter of time. So that's exciting to see. But when you look at the daily chart, again, you think you missed, you missed the whole thing. If you look at uh, General Dynamics, you're like, oh my gosh, it's over. Northrop Grumman, it's over. Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, even Boeing. But again, take a step back, perspective, patience, and you can see that there's, there's a lot more room. Uh, in the case of Boeing, uh, NAB Southwest Airlines order for 10737 MAX jets, jets 155 added options. So that was a big order from Southwest. Then you got uh, more 737 MAX orders from Alaska Airlines <coughs> this week. Uh, 23 additional 737 9 MAX with the option to buy 15 more. So now, now these carriers are getting fear of loss. They better get in line or they're not going to get any planes. Um, now moving on to financials. Uh, as much as they've moved and are probably due for a breather, we believe that many of them have a lot of room to run. Obviously, our pound the table. Uh, biggest holding there is Wells Fargo, which albeit it's up from the low 20s to it hit 40. Now it's pulled back a couple bucks and is taking a breather. Uh, again, if you look at the dailies, in every case, you think you missed it all. Um, but... If you step back, you can see over the long term, these things can continue to run. And for the reasons I covered before, net interest margin, credit reserve releases, loan demand, uh, economy improvement, et cetera, Citibank, and you can just look across the board. So um, these are, again, our holds. We, we owe the, own these from much lower bases, but we're just sharing how we're thinking about it. And then finally is energy with all of the headline after headline 
how we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. Uh, these stocks are continuing to go up because as they take supply off, price goes up and the remaining survivors are minting money after many went bankrupt in 2016 and in 2020. The big players are going to get bigger. Um, if you look at the dailies, again, you missed everything. That's what these charts say. If you step back and look at the weeklies uh, or the monthlies, you can see that many of these are just getting started. Diamondback, Devon, Valero is a refiner, uh, EOG, uh, Schlumberger, the best servicer in the world, uh, is just trading like death and, and it's just starting to get off the mat. Um, you know, uh, Suncor, these are unbelievable companies. O Occidental, yes, there was a lot of dilution, but they'll buy that back as they start generating cash. They're going to be investing, they're going to be returning capital more than they're going to be drilling holes, which will be a great thing for shareholders. Royal Dutch Shell, same thing. ExxonMobil, it's had a huge move from the 30, low 30s to almost, it got over 60, so it was almost a double in since the election. But again, I mean, this thing has so much room to run, we think, over the next couple of years. Energy transfer, uh, Phillips 66. So, so you, you take a step back and look at perspective, high-quality ConocoPhillips, and you can see that there are still areas of great value in the market, but there are not many. <laughs> That's the fact. I mean, there, a lot of other groups have run uh, quite, a, quite a bit. So again, you know, um, we'll cover it over the week. And, and by the way, uh, OPEC said that they're going to gradually raise production. The market liked that. They, uh, uh, oil closed at the highs of the day. And all these headlines are wrong because when they originally came out with the long-term cut plan through April of 2022, they actually um, added cuts. So the Saudis added another million barrels of voluntary cuts, and they're easing the additional cuts that they put in earlier this year, but they're still, as a whole, much cutting much many more barrels per day than they had originally done in their cut plan uh, during the pandemic, their long-term cut plan through 2022. So, so they're still ahead of schedule in terms of pumping much less than um, their initial plan that took oil from negative 37 back into the 40s and it's climbed since and now you're going to have demand coming back so uh so this was a positive move they're being sensible they don't want to go back to uh what they experienced last year demand is going to help them so they'll gradually and sensibly uh reduce the amount of dramatic cuts that are in place uh but by the you know by the time they get to par uh, which will be April of next year, if they go according to plan, my sense is they'll extend it, uh, you're going to have demand that was greater than before they ever had to make any cuts, So uh, and, and materially greater. The pent-up demand for flying and travel, that, that's going to be huge. And that's a core part of our defense and aerospace sector has been the uh, people underestimating the commercial aviation uh, recovery for the second half of this year. And uh, I think that's going to prove to be the case. There are now 200 million jabs uh, in the U.S. As far as I heard today, uh, obviously many of those are just the first jab, etc. But um, gosh, it was 130 million, I think, last week or the week before. So this is uh, all moving in a positive direction. Obviously, you had a little spike up from the um, uh, spring break and the traveling and that type of stuff, but but that'll 
that'll that'll um, we'll get over that hump. Moving on to the article of the week. So this is the Dua Lipa levitating stock market and sentiment results uh, featuring Da Baby. And I chose this because it does feel like many areas of the market have been levitating. And um, that's the bad news. The good news, though, is that um, when we look at the performance sector by sector, it shows what's run tremendously this year and where there still may be opportunity. Um, so obviously energy and financials have led. Those were our big picks last year before the election from summer and late summer, fall. And before the election, we were pounding the table and they have just performed in spades uh, on a sector basis. They've all outperformed the S&P this year. So these are round numbers, uh, total return, energy 32%, financials 16%, followed by industrials, materials, all the value trade that no one wanted anything to do have been the outperformers. If you remember last year, I was always saying the last shall be first, the last shall be first. Well, that's 100% happened. And guess what's the last, uh, which was the first, is technology is the worst performer year to date at about 1.5%. Maybe that's ticked up a, a, a bit in the last couple of days. So, uh, and the S&P up around 6, 6.5 uh, in that neighborhood uh, as of quarter close. So, Looking forward, um, while we're holders of these, um, we're not adders. Obviously, they most of them are up seventy five, one hundred percent. They could pull some have pulled back five or ten percent. We think that they're they've got to digest the gains. Uh, so, how do you move the equity curve up when your when your big holdings are probably not going to do anything in Q two, if not uh, uh, you know cost you a little bit in in Q two while you're waiting for um, uh, a reemergence of the uptrend and, and then to make new highs, uh, before the end of the year and then continue for the first, you know, couple years of the new business cycle to outperform, which they have been, uh, you look for where is there still opportunity? And we've just covered it in these laggard groups that have underperformed the S and P we like, you know, big pharma staples, utilities, and small pockets of technology, uh, there, there literally may be less than a handful of stocks out of a few hundred that we like in the technology space. But these are, you know, SaaS type companies that have come back, uh, you know, 30 to 40% in the last few weeks. The tech sell off was brutal for people that were overweight, which was many over levered hedge funds. As uh, Arca, uh, Bill Wang's was just a symptom of, of uh, much of what's out there. And, um, so this is not a wholesale call on technology by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but we do, you know, beyond pharma staples and utilities, we do think there will be discrete opportunities for uh, certain st stocks in tech that have really just gotten smashed, you know, 30, 40% plus are starting to uh, form a bottom, still have solid fundamentals and we can get our, arms around the valuation and how they can perform uh, moving forward as as uh, rates are more stable. Even if they're creeping up, they're doing so at a, at a lower pace. Uh, this table from Bespoke just basically shows what happens uh, for energy and financials after they've been up 20% in a quarter. And the, the net effect is uh, uh, financials seem to persist a little bit at a slower rate. Uh, energy uh, usually takes a breather for a couple of months. So uh, we expect that. We're prepared for that, and that's fine. 
these are the articles you can click on February 25th and 20 and March 4th, where we emphasize we were loading up on utilities, consumer and big pharma. You can see what's happened on a sector basis. Individual names in many cases have gone up more, but utilities have led, staples have uh, followed and uh, big pharma has, has uh, been in third place. We think they're gonna pick up in the short term. And um, when we were recommending them, all three of these sectors were negative on the year. Uh, just four weeks ago, and that's changed very, very quickly, uh, as you can see. And then, um, you know, while we do think there will be a few selective opportunities in um, tech, we don't think it's going to be an Apple, and we've been saying that since the uh, quote-unquote perfect earnings at the end of January. Uh, this thing is just traded down. It's been a source of funds for some of the funds that blew up uh, from GameStop, probably a source of funds for some of the funds that are impacted by the, the Bill Huang uh, issue with uh, Viacom, Discovery, some of the Chinese tech stocks, etc. And we just don't see any near-term catalyst for this thing to turn around. We do, however, think there will come a point in time, maybe this summer or fall, when Apple's fallen enough that it's going to just be a generational load the boat buy opportunity uh, as we get closer to, you know, legitimate catalyst. It, it takes a big catalyst to move a $2 trillion stock. Obviously, we think the catalyst has to potentially do with cars. So far, they've been fumbling the ball with talks with Huawei and this and that. I, I don't know how they're going to make a splash. My sense is they'll probably have to buy one of these blown up SPACs that have good technology and uh, show us that they're going to do it on their own, but they're not going to start from scratch because that would be bananas. Uh, but if they do buy a credible one that's, you know, blown up, uh, you know, maybe like a Nicola or a Lordstown or I, I don't I don't know a ton about or Fisker, um, I uh, that they have some starting basis and they can load some of their hundred plus 150 plus billion dollars of cash into it i think the market could get excited and i think we're a long way off from that uh to couple that actually uh after doing this article goldman came out with a note uh analyst rod hall reiterated accelerating on apple with an 83 dollar price target you know um when i was thinking about where would i be a buyer you know i i was certainly below 100 and that that's like most i wouldn't even say that publicly because most people would be like you're nuts apple's not going below 100 um so i'm just quiet about it until it does and then that's when i load up and uh but uh you know he's putting an 83 dollar price target i don't think this is actually out of the question it's a little aggressive i mean uh you can't you you can't be <laughs> The way to think about Apple is where do I want to buy it? It's not where do I want to short it. That's not that's not not the game. The game is where do I want to where where where's a compelling opportunity to buy a ton for the long term? And I just don't I simply don't think we're there yet. And if this is another reason why that that's fine. Uh, kudos. That's you know big cojones to put that that type of price target out from a credible bank. But I think I think that may. You know, I think that may be in the neighborhood. So we'll we'll see how it plays out in coming months, which is why I'm not a wholesale, you know, um, load the boat with tech at all. I, I do see some selective SaaS companies down 30, 40 plus percent in four weeks that that you may get a decent bounce here in the next quarter as rates stop going up. Uh, but, you know, again, for my money, utility staples and big pharma are much better, easier plays that you can get your head around their historic performance and the valuations. So that's what we've been focused on. Um, 
this was just uh, re-emphasizing what we covered on Liz's segment. And this was where we put out that initial Wells Fargo chart. If you remember, you can look it up. All the previous articles you can get on the website, click on uh, sentiment or click on commentary and you can see them all. But we first put this chart out when it was down here in the low to mid 20s. And we were pointing to this ADX and sure enough, um, it's, it's uh, gone up quite a bit. But I think it's got a lot more to go. Uh, moving forward. Remember, it's trading up at $51 when they still had the asset cap on in, in early 2020 pre-pandemic. We think demand is going to be stronger. We think a lot of these reserves are going to come back. And we, we think that like this situation here in 11-12 after the last crisis, uh, it breaks out and just keeps moving up to a new plateau. And, and uh, that's our view. Now, to the victor go the spoils. We talk a little bit about the uh, infrastructure bill. Uh, the key thing here is, one, uh, corporate taxes are going to go up. That's going to be a big issue that we have to think about in Q2. That's probably going to precipitate the, the uh, correction in Q2 of 2022, statistically, second year, second quarter. You know, you can't predict that stuff perfectly, but it, it does kind of look like an area where it would make sense after uh, all the giddiness is behind us. Uh, and it'll probably be on the basis of the market starting to discount the higher corporate tax rate coming in at the end of 2022 and the higher, uh, maybe, maybe they push through capital gains. They want to push that through as ordinary income. That would be suicide, but uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to be a lot of talk about it. So that talk is going to unsettle the market. And, um, you know, Jen Psaki, uh, the spokesperson said that, uh, corrected it. It's not that everyone, under 400,000 is going to be free from taxes. It's households under 400,000. So if you make 200 and your wife makes 200 or she makes 300 and you make 100, uh, you guys are, you know, your taxes are going up. So it's it's really a shot right between the eyes for the middle class and uh, or upper middle class, however, depending on where in the country you live. I mean, if you live in, you know, Milwaukee and you have a $400,000 household, you know, it's it's fantastic. If you live in New York or the tri-state area or California, you know, it's 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 uh, it's it's a different story. So um, so that's that's how they're going to pay for it. And they're going to obviously uh, increase the deficit. Uh, but when you look through the line by line item for the 2.25, it looks like about 10% is actually going to infrastructure, you know, buildings and roads and uh, things you think of, uh, cement and steel and that type of stuff. And a lot of this stuff is soft spending. Uh, the roads and the bridges and the durable stuff will get a long-term uh, return and we will get increased productivity. But the vast majority of this is just going to be cost and it's going to be short-lived benefits. Uh, and that's, you know, that's disappointing. But uh, again, it, to the victor go the spoils. This is what uh, was run on and this is what's being delivered. There are no surprises here. And that's what was voted for. And that's what we're getting. That's that's what's being delivered. So uh, it is what it is. I, I you know. Um, OK, so we covered that about spending. Uh, here's the impact. Uh, this is a chart from LPL Ryan Dietrich. 
low inflation uh, benefit stocks over time. So if inflation does sustain above 2%, it does have a longer term slowing effect on the appreciation of equities. Um, that's the bad news. So that's the general indices. The good news is uh, it helps value cyclicals, banks, and commodity-based stocks outperform. So, you know, I've covered quite a bit. If you were around in the 70s, the stock market did nothing. The stock value stock pickers, it's where they made their billions. Uh, Gabelli, Cooperman, Buffett, uh, that whole ilk made fortunes uh, during that period. And I think we're going to be in a similar situation. I think the indices will go up, but uh, maybe at a more subdued pace as uh, the lower weighted groups start to gain greater weight and the higher great weighted groups start to matter less, which would, would put um, uh, a more subdued upward trajectory on the indices, which makes sense because if you think about it for the last five years, uh, so much money has moved into indexing that um, by definition, those returns have to diminish and uh, money's moved out of active uh, so I think they're going to be the beneficiaries and, um, and that means you listening to this podcast and paying attention to things that we do about sector rotation, et cetera. Okay. So AAII sentiment survey, retail investors are still, uh, euphoric. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, and they, you know, they got, they, they got washed out a bit in the last two weeks with the high flying, you know, stocks that are trading at 12 to 30 times sales with no earnings, they, they all got smashed. Many of them are down 50%. So that took out some of the, the air in the, in the bubble and a lot of SPACs uh, failed, failed and rolled over. Um, but there's still some euphoria here. Uh, so, so we have to keep an eye on the fear and greed, which is a kind of broader indicator, seven or eight indicators compilation. It's right in the middle, so that's neutral. And institutions are underweight. They sold out of this stuff. So if the market keeps pushing higher uh, in April, which seasonally it has a tendency to do, we'll see if that repeats this this year. They're going to have to play catch up yet again. And that's in line with what Tom Lee was saying about the, they've raised whatever it is, 128 to 157 billion since December. That has to go back to work if if they're going to be underweight and the market keeps pushing higher. So uh, the message for the week we've already covered. Uh, pay attention to the rallies under the surface. You know the groups we're looking at, etc. cetera. Uh, unusual activity. Someone came in and bought 30,000 contracts of May $45 Wells Fargo call options. So that's a pretty aggressive bet, just pointing that out. Uh, we did the retail sector earnings. The top top uh, 30 weights were up, earnings were up 10.9% in the last 60 days. Um... Okay, and then transports earnings were up. Uh, they uh, rise up modestly in the last 60 days. So they, they were up barely. I've got to get that adjusted on the website, but they were up as well. Um, and then the economic data for this week all came in good. The um, ISM... Manufacturing PMI was the big one, 64 versus 60, 64.7 versus 61 blew the doors off. Continuing claims and jo initial jobless claims were worse than expected. They missed. We got to watch that tomorrow morning. I do think the report tomorrow is going to be pretty good. Uh, manufacturing PMI was good. Um, just trying to beat the clock here for the podcast. Uh, ADP non-farm payroll missed as well. Chicago PMI was great. So all these manufacturing indexes 
Our huge consumer confidence uh, conference board was beat expectations. So mostly good, better than last week. And then earnings estimates again w went up. They dipped a little bit for a week, and now they're back up to 202 for 2022, 175.75 for 2020, uh, 2021. So that's good that that's continuing to go up. That's in line with Paulson's view that this 175 is way too low, which we agree with. So with that said, I want to wish everyone happy holidays, happy, uh, happy Passover, happy Easter uh, for everyone celebrating. And we'll be back next week, same time, same place. Make it a great one. Thanks for listening.